Wow, well, thank you. What a, what a great way to start singing about our Savior. Man, that, uh, that's a moving uh, thought, really. It ought to just, it stirred, welled up within my heart this morning as we think about all of who Jesus is. And we're going to remember all that he has done for us in just a little bit as we gather around the Lord's table. And uh, I trust that will be an encouraging, challenging time for you as well. We've had a great week uh, thus far. As we have told you a couple weeks ago, we would be bringing a couple to join us today. And actually for this week, uh, they arrived. She Hung and Rachel Zhu arrived Wednesday evening. And uh, we have spent the week thus far with them, had a great time with our deacons and wives last night and uh, people getting to know them. They've met with our youth workers already. They're going to be with our students this morning and uh, also with parents at noon. And uh, if any of you parents have not been aware for whatever reason you missed that or uh, weren't thinking about it, I would also encourage those of you who even have like second, third, and fourth graders to join at noon downstairs in the youth room if you're not sure, just head down the hallway past the children's check-in. Before the hallway, there's a doorway that goes downstairs. And right at noon, right after the, the Bible classes are done this morning, that is where uh, Rachel and Shehung will be uh, with our students. And they'll be finishing up. And, and parents, an opportunity for you to get to know them and ask some questions and hear their heart and all that God has done. And this morning, you're all going to have that opportunity to, to hear their stories, to hear their, uh, about their relationship with Jesus Christ and all that he has done in their hearts as it relates to their call and stirring to ministry. So we're just uh, going to give them the time. So Shehong, Rachel, join us here. And um, it's, it's your time, all right? Here's that. hospitality and, and thank you you know who you are for just uh receiving us into your homes we we were joking with uh one of you uh, that we feel like the missionaries um from third john and we just feel like just so welcome and so blessed and so well received so so thank you church for having us i uh, thank you john and the praise band for for leading us in singing and, and lifting our savior's uh, name high uh, my name is shihong this is my wife rachel and uh we're just gonna take i don't know the next however long it takes, I guess, um, to, to share with you who we are and to share with you our, our hearts and uh, to, to give you a little, uh, little structure. Um, Rachel will share first or how she came to know the Lord and um, a little bit of how we met. And then I'll share how I came to know Jesus Christ as well and how we met. And then from there, um, it won't be maybe a sermon per se, but I do want to share out of God's word and encouragement to you as, as part of hopefully a vision for the youth and maybe the church as a whole um, for us possibly coming and partnering and joining with you guys. So um, before that, how about we pray? How would we pray and ask for the Lord's help and his mercy and his blessing? And uh, um, Rachel can dive right in. Mm -hmm. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, truly uh, you are... Holy, 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 uh, 
Your name is great and lifted high. And you have met us in our deepest and darkest need. Uh, you have sent your son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, to, to live the life of a man, uh, a life that we cannot live, uh, so that he is, he is to die a death uh, that we deserve to die. And God, thank you for just the opportunity for us to come together as a church once more, knowing that uh, here at Heritage, things are stirring, things are changing. Um, uh, you are moving, Lord. And I just thank you full for the leadership, thankful for uh, the opportunity we have today to congregate together, um, to uh, join one together, one, uh, join together in song and praise and, and word and in prayer, uh, all these things. And later, as we observe uh, your table, that we can come and remember you for all that you've done for us. And so, God, I just ask that you may bless this time. Uh, bless this time. May uh, the church see our hearts and see who we are, and uh, may you be magnified and glorified in all of it. So we pray uh, in your son's matchless and holy name. Amen. Mm. Go ahead, Rachel. Awesome. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> Hi, my name is Rachel. I was born and raised in California, um, Northern California, home of like Apple, Google, Facebook, that area. <laughs> um, I was born to Christian parents who were both saved in their college grad school years, and they faithfully took us to church every Sunday. Me and my two older siblings grew up going to church, loving serving in church. I was like on the music team. I even co-led small groups. I loved skipping school so that I could attend retreats. Um, <laughs> and Church was fun for me. I loved being a Christian. Um, I said the prayer when I was early on in elementary school. They were um, asking students to raise their hands if they would like to say the prayer and accept the Lord Jesus into our hearts. Everyone said yes. And uh, I actually even got baptized later on, I think in the beginning of middle school. Um, honestly, I don't remember either of those moments I have Basically, no recollection from those. I was a good Christian girl growing up in school. Uh, all my friends knew I never swore, I never partied, I never cheated. Um, they knew not to invite Rachel to parties. She wasn't going to come. And I was very happy with that. I genuinely thought that I was a Christian, and I genuinely thought that I was a Christian because I was good enough, because God would accept me if I was being that good Christian girl, if I was involved in church, if I was telling my friends that I was a Christian. I clearly did not understand Ephesians 2, 8 to 9, which says that by grace you have been saved through faith, not by your own doing, it's a gift of God. Thankfully, the Lord and his mysterious sovereignty brought me to school at UCLA, at UCLA, there's a very solid Christian fellowship that I got involved in. Um, I started attending Grace Community Church. Both of these things were very natural for me because I had been going to church all my life. Um, it was early on in my freshman year, about halfway through the year, when a couple situations happened in which the Lord humbled me, brought me to my knees before him, and I started to understand how sinful I was and uh, who God truly was and that I needed him. The first situation was that some upperclassmen asked me to come with them on campus and share the gospel with strangers. That was a new concept to me. No one had ever challenged me to do that before, and 
being the good Christian girl I was, I said yes. Um, It was frightening, to say the least. I remember sitting there in silence as the older girls shared with a random student on campus how much they loved Jesus and what the true gospel was. And I remember going back to my dorm room later that day and just weeping because I realized I didn't know what I believed and I knew that I I didn't know how to share it with other people. So that woke me up to my, my ignorance, and when later in the quarter, um, UCLA operates on quarters, it's weird, and later in the quarter, I uh, was truly humbled by the Lord um, over the past few years, so end of high, end of high school through um, my time at UCLA, I had been struggling a lot with disordered eating habits. That looked like starving myself, over-exercising, trying to get thin, and then realizing that my body really needed food, and I would binge, and that cycle just repeated over and over and over. Um, During that time, I saw sin physically manifest itself in my body, and that was something very new to me. Um, I was being faithfully poured into by by many older girls in my life. Um, I was hearing sermons every Sunday at church. Yet, and, and so the Lord was working in my life throughout all those times, and I wasn't even realizing it. Um, as I saw sin physically manifest itself, um, I saw how dirty it was and how disgusting it was, and as I tangibly felt it, I think that's when I realized that I was very, very far from God, that even though I took pride in being that good Christian girl, that I really wasn't a good Christian girl, and that certainly didn't save me. So uh, the end of the week, we had a very faithful preacher come to our Bible study, And at the end, um, he gave a very clear gospel presentation. Now, at the end of every sermon that I've been hearing for the past year, there were gospel presentations, but this one struck me in a particular way. Um, At the end of the sermon, he challenged all of us to be overwhelmed by the contrast of our sin to God's glory. And to, to think about the contrast of who I was as a sinful human being and who God was as the creator of the universe. He didn't just make the universe, he also made us fearfully and wonderfully. Um, I, I realized that when I was hating the way I looked and I was bitter and I was struggling with all these sins, I was rebelling from God. And he ended the gospel presentation asking if God's grace and glory is just an intellectual concept or a true knowledge which drives and sustains our lives. Um, That evening, we also sang Psalm 103 in song form. And uh, when it talks about blessing the Lord, oh, my soul, and forgetting not all his benefits, I realized that, that I really just had a head knowledge that I hadn't. Um, taken into my heart, and I hadn't um, let overflow into my actions and my life. So it was that, at that time when I was sure that I was saved by the Lord and His grace, and I, I'm thankful for that. Um, life changed a lot <laughs> in college. Um, I was very set on being a single, independent, working woman when I graduated. <laughs> In my junior year, I met Shi Hong. <laughs> um, I was 
I was serving in church. I had just gotten baptized in my sophomore year, was very, very excited to just finish out college and graduate and do my thing. And then the summer after my, no, summer before my junior year, um, Shi Hong was coming into LA to start at the Master's Seminary. And we started hanging out in groups. Uh, we were friends. We were messaging a little bit. And um, after a few group hangouts, there's this one time when I was really offended by something he said. Don't worry, it wasn't bad. Um, <laughs> I, just, I just had a misunderstanding, and I went home, and I told my small group leader, I told my small groupie, I told my discipler, I was like, I don't know what to do. This older guy in seminary, like, kind of offended me. And all the girls were like, oh, just talk to him. And I said, okay. So I talked to him the following Sunday, cleared things up. It was totally fine. And we sat there for the rest of the afternoon for a few hours and talked. Um, he says, it's, he might say this later, but he says it's because I kept talking. <laughs> I say it's because he kept talking. Um, <laughs> a few days, weeks Days later, uh, he gave me a call and asked me out, very, very low pressure, um, wasn't like asking me to marry him yet, and uh, after a lot of talking and thinking and praying, um, I said yes, made him meet my parents before I really said yes, and then we dated for a year. Uh, he asked for my hand in marriage um, on our one-year anniversary, and we got married eight months later. So we've just passed one year and 12 days-ish of marriage. Um, yeah, that's, that's us. We're so thankful to be here. Um, the Lord has been so faithful. Um, this has definitely been a season of waiting for the both of us, and through it all, um, God has just been so, so kind to us. Um, and that's us. That's me. The Lord is good. <laughs> that's Rachel. Um, so I was born uh, in Beijing, China, and I immigrated to the States when I was just two years old. This was back in 95. And um, I, you know, my family wasn't saved, and my dad was working on his PhD at UConn, so East Coast at the time, and my mom, you know, was a young mom, trying to make ends meet, living on a PH student's income, which is next to nil, um, and she was just trying to figure things out, you know, doing this new life here in the States, uh, not really knowing how things are going to turn out after, if my dad's going to get through his PhD, if we're, you know, whatever happens after that is beyond her, and so to help with that, she started working illegally at a Chinese takeout place. Um, and there she met a lady, a Christian, who invited her to church, who shared the gospel with her. And long story short, she got saved. Um, I tell everyone this, but I think my mom's testimony is far more fascinating than mine. <laughs> but uh, she started bringing me out to church. And I started hearing Bible stories when I was young. And I was under the impression that because you went to church, because I went to church, I was a Christian because that's what Christians do. And so I grew up with that, you know, that presupposition, that belief in my mind entirely my young life. And um, throughout junior high and high school, 
Um, we eventually did move out to California, but throughout my junior high and high school years, um, the youth group that I attended at our church was, was very well taught. We were, we were taught very well. We were taught the scriptures. We were taught theology, doctrine, all that stuff. And I grew a large head, and I grew uh, a large uh, pride in my life. And I thought that because I knew so much now, that definitely made me a Christian. That made me a better Christian than, than other faithful uh, people. And so I lived a double life, you know, doing what I wanted in high school and hanging out with my friends. And, and then on Friday, I'd clean myself up, and on Sunday, I'd come to church. Uh, that continued on through high school. And eventually when I went off to college down in San Diego, um, I, that eventually revealed itself. Um, older guys in the church that I started attending, which was another solid church and was instrumental to my call to ministry, uh, they would reach out to me. They would uh, ask me how I'm doing. They'd ask me, I missed you at Bible study. I missed you at church. What's going on? Uh, how bad it was was that I would play play video games with my roommate uh, Saturday night, and we'd play up to 3, 4, 5 a.m., and then I'd go to sleep. And then when morning rolls around, Sunday morning mo rolls around, I would uh, get a call from an upperclassman who had a car to come pick us up for church. And he would ask, like, hey, you coming to church? Like, we're at the, the pickup stop. Like, where are you? And I'd, I'd make some... Tired, you know. I, I make up some lame excuse of why I couldn't make it out to church, and so that continued on through my freshman year, and I was confronted again and again with what does it mean to be a true follower of Christ? What does it mean to be humble? What does what does humility actually mean? What does that actually look like? And so, freshman year was a mess for Shihong, and um, the summer afterwards, I had this great idea uh, to go on a short-term missions trip with my home church in Sacramento. We were going to Ecuador at the time. And it wasn't because I wanted to serve the Lord or anything and, and you know, possibly look into missions, um, but I was talking to a gal at the time, and she and her sisters were going. And I thought, wow, wouldn't this be a great opportunity to go on a mission trip and serve the Lord? Uh, but actually, my, I was double-minded. Uh, I wanted something else, something more evil. Uh, but that is not to say that God cannot work beyond my evil intentions, as, as he says in Genesis 50, 20. What I meant for evil, God meant for good. And there I met Christians, the Ecuadorian Christians there, who said and they believed in the th same things I did, but their lives looked entirely different. Um, compared to us here in the States, materially they have next to nothing. And yet for them, they had a genuine, vibrant joy in the Lord. They knew who Christ was, and, and for that, that played out in everything that they did. And for me, I saw that, and I, I knew, and I reflected uh, that second week by myself, and I knew that there was something that did not add up, something in my life that just did not match uh, what I said I believed and what I did. And it was there where I, I repented, and I confessed Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior, and I trusted in Him, and, and if you were to ask me if there was a distinct moment in time in which uh, God saved me, that would be that point. And from there, things things were different. I went back, I got baptized, I became a member at the church, I started serving in any possible ministry that needed help. I, I wanted to do it all. And so that continued on through the rest of my college years. At that time, I started thinking about what does it mean to be a pastor? Uh, what does it mean to go into full-time ministry, as they would say? Um, 
I went back to Ecuador, Ecuador that summer, the next summer afterwards, my sophomore year, and I loved it. Ate it up, just went all out, served, and I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to be in God's church, serving God's people, teaching God's word. And I don't know what that looks like, what that, whether that's missions or lay ministry or being a pastor, but I knew that you know, the church is God's primary vehicle for the gospel. I bought into that wholeheartedly. And so uh, started talking to older men, started talking to my pastor, started reading books, and, and slowly uh, the Lord cultivated a greater burden uh, for pastoral ministry in my heart. And when I graduated from college my senior year, I, I told my parents, I went home, and I was like, I'm going to be a pastor. And they almost threw me out the house. <laughs> um, I mean, it was just, it's just so different, right? You bring up... You go through all this hardship, taking your family into the States from communist China, and just to hear your first son, your oldest son, say he wants to be a pastor was something that just did not sit right with them. Uh, but they were believers, both of them. My dad eventually came to know the Lord my junior year of college, uh, but they were believers, and the Lord worked on their hearts, and now to this day, they, they can't stop bragging about me. That's how, that's how they express their love. They brag, they brag about their kids to their friends. And... Um, and so uh, I did a one-year internship at my church in San Diego with my pastor, Patrick Cho. Um, and at the end of that internship, we sat down, and, and he, he pulled out a verse. And I'm just going to read it to you guys because it's just so powerful and so – I mean, I was a young man at the time. I, I, didn't, I didn't know the cost, the, the sweat, the blood, sweat, and tears that it would require to, to really serve the Lord with my entire, entire heart and entire being. He brought me to Jeremiah 12. It's an obscure passage, um, but Jeremiah, Jeremiah 12, um, and, and he asked me in Jeremiah 12, 5, uh, if you have raced with men on foot and they have wearied you, how will you compete or how will you run with the horses? And essentially what God is asking Jeremiah here is if you can't keep up with the normal lay guys, the the people who are just serving at church faithfully week in and week out, and they go to their nine-to-five jobs, and they're doing whatever they can to make ends meet and provide for their families. If you can't do that, how do you expect to go into full-time ministry when the Lord will ask, a more, will ask more from you? And, and I sat there, and I thought about that, and it gripped me that I, you know, this, this endeavor, pastoral ministry, is hard work. It's challenging work. It's rewarding work for sure. You know, pastors say they get the best seats in the house, especially during wedding times. Amen, right? Um, but I looked at that verse, and I looked at my life, and I said I, I needed to work. I needed to put in the time. I needed to – it isn't just finish undergrad and go into seminary and pop comes out of pastor. But I needed to learn life with just normal, normal saints in the church. And so after that, uh, I found a job in the Bay Area. I moved back up north, and I worked for a year, and it just, if you ask me, I'll tell you later. I'll save the details here, um, but it was grueling. It was difficult. I had an unscrupulous manager who would berate me every single day, and uh, it was just tough, but I stuck through it, and I was still talking to my pastor down in San Diego and my new pastor that I found the church at in the Bay Area, and uh, eventually, a year later, they both agreed, you know, it's, I think it's time for you to go to seminary if you're still desiring this. I think it's time for you to go. And so that was at the end of 2016 and in 2017, I applied to the master's seminary. I got in. 
I thought that if I didn't get in, I'd go home back to my parents. I'd work there and I'd try again maybe two, three, four, five years later. But by the grace of God, I got in and moved down to LA, packed my things again, and I moved down back to LA and started seminary. Around that time, before school started, I met Rachel and I was like, hey, she's pretty cute. I saw her on Facebook before and so I made it a point to meet her at least, befriend her at least. And, um, and then we started hanging out in groups and then that whole offending her thing happened. Um, <laughs> To, to shed some detail, it's, it's not that important, but I know you guys are wondering. Um, what did I say? I essentially was talking about how, you know, in the church, in a, a young adult college setting, um, you know, like, the dating culture can be interesting. And I said some things about dating culture that didn't jive well with her, and then so she thought, and she was so mad at me and came and be like, hey, can I talk to you? And I was just like, oh, I don't know. I barely know you. I'm, I'm in trouble. And I was in trouble. And so we talked and we sorted things out. And I explained myself. And she was like, oh, okay. And then we kept talking. And I swear, I swear that she just kept talking. And, and usually, you know, with, from a guy's perspective, you, you talk to a gal. Or, or if she comes up to you, if she initiates Right? She has some business she needs to take care of with you. And once she, she has taken care of that business, she will leave. It's done. It's a done deal. And for me, I'm like, she is still here. What is going on? And so we kept talking and then started exchanging texts and messages. And then come that Thanksgiving, I was just like low pressure, low bar. You know, like, hey, I'd like to take you out on a couple of dates. And if that's fine with you, great. If not, then we're still cool. We're still friends. And even after those dates, if you don't, you're not interested, if, if I'm not interested, that's cool. We'll still be friends. And uh, for the youth out there, that's the way to go. And I will teach that. And uh, uh, so she graciously said yes. And we started dating and going on dates. And I met her parents and all that. And we worked through you know, a whole year of dating and uh, everything in between. And uh, we got married August 31st. And here we are year after, a little bit after, uh, in our marriage, and we're still here, and we're, you know, we're so glad to be with you guys and, and to meet with you guys. Um, I'd like to just transition now to just a quick time thinking about um, youth ministry, thinking about hopefully what, if, if you as the church would call us, call me, me, not her, call me, uh, to this position. Uh, hopefully what we would start doing and hopefully what we can accomplish. Uh, not so much something quantitatively. We're, we're not looking at that. That's not what ministry is about. But hopefully the kind of work that we'll be doing uh, with our students, with our young people, and as we, as we send them off, as we prepare them for the next stage of life. And um, first and foremost is absolutely uh, we will, I will uh, preach and teach the word. Um, 2 Timothy 3.16 makes it abundantly clear that uh, the word of God um, is sufficient for our lives. Uh, it is sufficient. It is powerful. It is effective. Um, you can go to the word and you might not find who your future spouse is. You will not find her name in the Bible, but you will find principles and means in which you can live out your Christian life. And I firmly believe that. I firmly believe that from a philosophy point of view, as in uh, 
uh, if we teach the word, if we preach God's word in its full and entire counsel, um, God's sheep, Jesus says, my sheep will hear my voice and they will respond and they will grow. And I firmly believe that from, from the oldest, loveliest saint uh, preparing to meet the Lord uh, to the newest newborn babe of a believer. And, and most of our students are there. Uh, most of our students will need to nourish and feed on the milk of God's word. But eventually we will have to transition them into meat. Uh, we'll have to transition them into real and solid food. And so, you know, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And that is our foundation. That's our springboard. That's where we're going to come from. Everything we do will be examined in the light of God's word. We will see why we do things, how we do things, and we'll see what does God say about that. And I, I firmly believe with all my heart, I would not be, be up here saying this if I didn't, uh, that um, our students, especially in this increasingly secularized culture, need God's word because it is not some old, you know, 2,000-year-old book. Uh, but it is applicable, it is helpful, it is beneficial for them. Um, they need the word of God more than they need an Instagram influencer. Amen. Okay? And so we'll teach, I will teach the word, I will preach the word, I will walk verse by verse, book by book, and, and what I deem appropriate uh, to the students. And um, hopefully we will pray. And we'll pray that the Lord gives the growth because we cannot force any growth. God gives the growth, we water, we plant, uh, but God ultimately gives the growth and we pray that the spirit will move and I believe that when we faithfully carry out the means that God has provided through his word, described by his word, um, in his word, God will give growth. I firmly believe that. Heritage is here because of that. And I believe that with all my heart. Uh, secondly, um, as an outflow of that would be we will train and uh, help disciple and help grow into maturity um, our students. Uh, Philippians 3 comes to mind. It's a precious, a precious passage for me because uh, Paul says that he counts everything but loss for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus is Lord. But furthermore, he, he goes on to say that um, he knows, he says in verse 12, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Uh, brothers, I do not consider it that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And I firmly believe that our job as Christians, uh, not just pastors, but all of us, whether you are you know, working in an office or working in you know, whatever you're doing, uh, we're called to make disciples of Christ. And in so doing, um, we want people, we want Christians, we want these disciples to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Uh, that's the ultimate goal of sanctification. That's the goal of the church. That's the goal of, of God in, in leaving us at this time before the Lord returns. And so I'm fully committed to training and making disciples of Christ. And so that will look like investing in the students, preaching to the students, right, ministering to the students, but for, furthermore, uh, investing in 
the, the staff, the youth workers, uh, whatever, whatever you guys call it. Um, everybody has their own, their own name. And uh, I would, here, here's my pitch. This is where I make my pitch. I've strongly considered, I do not care whether you are old and, and, and you know, like Careful. way beyond your years. <laughs> thank, thank you, Mark. Uh, you, get, you catch my drift. Uh, whether you're an older saint or, 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 you're, or, or you're a younger believer fresh out of high school, I would want, want you to strongly consider joining youth ministry. Uh, these kids need your wisdom, need your experience, need your input. And as part of training and developing mature believers, I'm committed to the staff as well. I see the staff, the workers who are doing the work of the ministry uh, as or maybe even more valuable of my time uh, than the students themselves. And I firmly believe that because the Lord Jesus Christ calls us to uh, equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. I am not a one-man show. I cannot do it all. Um, I need her first and foremost, and she will take up most of my time, as she should, but I'm committed to developing and training up men and women to do the work of the ministry, to serve our students. Uh, and lastly, lastly, uh, we will do all things. We'll think about why we do what we do. Uh, we do these things, uh, and we'll do them for the glory of Jesus Christ. Um, 1 Corinthians 10.31 is very clear. Whether you eat or drink or do youth ministry, um, we'll do it all for the glory of Christ. And we will pray fervently. And I will ask you to bear with me um, as I, if the Lord calls me here, to, as I go about this endeavor, um, that we would all to one end uh, be unified in glorifying Christ. And so if I do something that might rub you the wrong way, if I say something that you might think might not line up or whatever it may be, uh, may we all come under the name of Christ knowing that we are on the same team and we're trying to accomplish the same purpose, that we want to make Christ known and make him glorified in our lives. And so I'm committed to those things as I am a whole slew of other things that you can pull me aside anytime and ask me. Uh, I'm an open book. Um, but that's just, I wanted to share a part of my heart, um, possibly moving forward if, if heritage is the right fit for Rachel and I, and if Rachel and I are the right fit for you guys. And so um, just thank you. Thank you for this time. Um, if we can pray and we'll transition back to Pastor Glenn. Um, uh, yeah, let's pray. Father God, we, we just thank you and praise you uh, for all that you've done in our lives knowing that you've called each and every one of us here uh, to make you great, uh, to make you magnified and glorified, uh, uh, so that those who do not know you might come to know you. And Lord, I, I just pray right now for these people um, that you would make your will clear to them uh, as they move as one church, as they seek to make more people like Jesus, God. Uh, we, I pray that you give them the strength the humility, and the boldness to do so. And so, God, just thank you for just the opportunity for Rachel and myself to come and to express and to um, reveal a bit of ourselves to them. Lord, um, if it is your will, God, uh, we pray that you would knit our hearts to this church uh, and that we would come in love and Christian affection and that um, we would all be united uh, under one vision and one direction uh, to make believers, make disciples, make believers more like Jesus. 
And so that is our, our prayer. Uh, we pray all these things in your son's precious name. Amen. 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 Well, thank you, Xiang, Rachel, for sharing your heart and uh, all that God has uh, done in your lives. Folks, I, I, w- we just saw evidence of the life-changing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? You heard what Jesus did in their lives and um, how he changed their lives because of Jesus' work on the cross. That's what the Lord's Supper is all about. Communion. That's what gathering together to remember Christ's death on the cross is about. We remind ourselves of the life-changing, transforming power of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. And we celebrate his work in our hearts and in the hearts of one another as his church, as his body here at Heritage. So I think it is uh, more than we had even anticipated very appropriate for us to celebrate and remember Christ's death for us on the cross. And we're going to do that now. And so as we um, go into that process, one of the things that I would encourage you as we move into our time of remembering and as we participate with the bread and the cup is that you take some time. Paul talks about the need to, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And I'm going to get, <clears throat> give you a couple of moments here, minutes to examine your hearts. And, and, and really what the examination has to do is, I believe, in the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, is Paul was rebuking the Corinthian believers because they had abused the Lord's Supper. They had made it everything that God never intended for it to be. And so when he said, examine your hearts, he wasn't saying, look to see how much sin there is in your life since the last time you took communion. He was saying, is your heart, are you abusing the Lord's Supper by looking down on others? By, and there was a division between the rich and the poor, between the haves and the have-nots. And the, and the haves were, were abusing, humiliating, Scripture tells us right there, the poor. And so we want to make sure, in other words, they're creating division within the church, disunity. That's what was happening, and that's what Paul said. He said, your meetings do more harm than good. I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. Wow. Around the Lord's table, the very thing that should unify and gather them all together as one in Christ. And so that's why Paul said, examine your hearts to make sure you are not one who is creating division or disunity amongst God's people. And if you are, you deal with it, make it right at that point, and then partake. And if you can't make it right at that point, do not partake. Just let it go. And uh, I would also say, if you do not know Jesus Christ, then this is not for you. And, and that's not a negative thing because you can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You can have your life changed as he changed 
Xiong and Rachel as he changed those who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he can make all the difference in your life today. And when you come to know Jesus Christ, because you believe without him, your sin will send you to an eternal hell separated from God. You can trust Christ right now. So I'm going to give you just a few moments to examine your heart. Number one, do you know Jesus? Number two, if you do, are you right with one another as it relates to unity within the body of Christ? And then as we've done now, and if you haven't been here, as we uh, observe communion together, um, you make your way up to, with your mask on, please, uh, to one of these tables. We have a table here, here, and uh, right there in front of the sound booth. And our men will be there to distribute, to hand you the cup inside the cup. There actually are two cups. One has the cracker. The other is the juice. And we will do that together. But after you have taken time to examine your heart, you make your way to one of these three stations and uh, take it back to your seat. With your mask on, you can sit down and, and take it off or leave it on, however you'd like to do that. And then we will lead you forward as we observe together um, the Lord's Supper. Okay? Let's pray together and examine our hearts. Paul rebuked the church in Corinth. He said, this is, this is what communion, this is what the Lord's Supper is all about. He says, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. I'd like to ask uh, Randy Nichols if he would lead us in a word of thanks for the bread. Amen. We're told that after he had given thanks, he took the bread and he said, This do in remembrance of me. Paul then proceeded. And he said, in the same way, after supper, after that night Jesus was with his disciples, what we call the Last Supper, really the, the first communion in a sense, he said, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And I'd like to ask John Antolik if he would lead us in a word of thanks for the cup, the representation, the symbol of the blood of Jesus Christ, which we're told without the shedding of Christ's blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. We're told after Jesus had given thanks, he took the cup and he said, do this in remembrance of me. And Paul reminded the church 
So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord, we do this as often as we do. We proclaim Christ's death until he comes. This can be very routine, right? We can go through this on a monthly whatever basis and just go through the motion. That was part of what the problem in Corinth was. But for you and I today, never let the blood of Jesus Christ, the life-changing, transforming power of the blood of Christ, just kind of go in one ear and out the other. Remember Christ's death, we're told, until he comes again.